Hello, hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome back to Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And uh, today, for our first episode of the New Year, we will be discussing Fleetwood Mac's album Tusk. Um, um, this month is all my picks, so all mine to do. And uh, this is such an odd album in some ways that's hard to even introduce it, because there's so much going on here. But I'm very excited to discuss this album. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's an epic album. It's an iconic album for for whatever reason, and uh, I'm excited. We did our little pre-talk or a little tiny bit of a pre-talk before this yeah. before this uh, session here, and I've got so many questions. And I did some serious deep diving on this one because I'm very intrigued, especially from the sense of a band. Uh, what was going on throughout this whole album? Yeah, this this was an interesting time for Fleetwood Mac. So the preface it, the album preceding this was the mega hit rumors. Might have heard of it. But anyway, yeah, it was uh it was practically a household item for many, um by this by 1979. And so the follow-up was, of course, very much anticipated, but the success of Rumors also meant that Fleetwood Mac could do whatever they wanted. They weren't going to have label heads down on them about what they were doing and whether it's commercial enough, because it was Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, I I, I dig that, but I feel like there's some fear in that, too. You know, like especially from Buckingham, and and I, I feel like a lot of it comes from what I read him say about it. But like, he didn't want, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but he didn't want rumors two and rumors three, and he didn't want anybody to push that on him. But I feel like that's that for me is a little bit of fear of getting stuck inside this this machine, so to oh, speak, yeah. uh, rather than it's. I can see the stick it to the manness of it. But I feel like it it seems like a manic fear almost. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's fear and paranoia and anger all over the lyrics of his songs here. So, um, but yeah, it's very, uh, he didn't want to do rumors too. That seemed to be his big thing, go against the grain. And he was really inspired by a lot of punk and new wave music. That was the counterculture of the time. And that was what he wanted to do, stuff like that, even though he's the Fleetwood Mac guy. Yeah, I I can't wrap my brain around this. Like, so, and we're going to talk about this a bunch, of course, but like, it's just this wild thought of Fleetwood Mac, of, of, of Lindsey Buckingham being like, I want to do some talking heads type of crazy shit. Like, I want to do some off the wall Beach Boys wildness, you know? Um, and the rest of the band being like, okay, or are they that disjointed or, or not disjointed, but are they that dysfunctional at this point in the game? Because we know that they have this dysfunctional or this, this just wild, uh, existence with each other. Do you think they're that out of it, like out of each other at this point that they're like, whatever, let's just do it. Like, are, is the rest of the band pumped up as much as I think Fleet, I'm sorry, as much as I think Lindsey Buckingham is about recording this album is really what I want to know. Well, <laughs> yeah, 
different perspectives. Everybody was, um, it just seems everybody was kind of on a different page during the recording of this album. So for my research, I read a book called Get Tusked. It was written by um, one of the co-producers of the album, Ken Kaye. I'm sorry, it's Ken Kaye. And he also engineered Rumors, so he'd worked with the band before, and his co-author is engineer Hernan Rojas. They both worked on the album and provided the inside scoop of what was going on, and um, they compared Lindsey Buckingham doing things to a dictatorship (laughs) because he was so my way or the highway. I'm going to do what I want, and if I bring in a song, we're doing it. And um, then you have Christine McVie and Stevie Nicks, who are evolving in their craft, but still writing songs that are a bit closer to the typical Fleetwood Mac sound as it was known. But Lindsey Buckingham still had to produce those songs, and that was a frustration for him because he says, well, I'm using my best ideas on other people's songs, and that's frustrating the May for him, basically. I mean, the dictatorship, if we're going to... I'm glad we're getting into this part here. I think a big thing we got to touch is they built a freaking studio for this. They built a studio, or uh, what was it called? Space D or Studio D. They yep. built... And not only did they build that, but Lindsey Buckingham had a recreation of his home bathroom for for this wild sound that he wanted out of it for recording purposes like dictatorship is is there but like this is where i get to the point of of the this manic wildness i mean the stories that are coming out of of this album him cutting his hair with nail scissors and like just being out with makeup all over his face it's it's wild to me, man. It's wild. It's it sounds like he's having a midlife crisis or a nervous breakdown inside of this album as an artist, and oh, the rest yeah. of the band and the the rest of the band's like, well, we're still sort of writing songs like Fleetwood Mac, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's that's what it sounds like here. Yeah, and so these differing ideas have actually gotten this album many comparisons to the Beatles' White Album because. That is considered in many ways to be, you're hearing songs by three different solo artists in the compositions. And this album's gotten those comparisons because of that. I I can see the comparisons. I, I don't, I'm not getting too far ahead, but I don't see the full thought that the white album ends up being able to pull off here. Um, and that's, I'm, I'm, that's not even opinion based, like as far as, or it's not based on my opinion of this album. I just, I don't feel like this album in its entirety hits the same way that a white album does. I do totally understand the comparisons of them being on different pages and us seeing single parts of these units for the first time really on these recordings as far as as songs go but i i don't know if it hits quite as hard as the white album does oh leah 
we're already going to be having some differing opinions <laughs> i'm thinking oh boy i i mean i knew i knew that was coming on this one uh but it uh it, i don't know i mean i i you think it's this hot tea take you think it's as good as the white album oh i think it's better you're fucking crazy no i am not use my french <laughs> You gotta be joking, my ass! No, oh, no man. way! <laughs> All right, well, that's good to know going in. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Not even kidding at all. No, I'm so excited to discuss this. It's perfectly imperfect. This album. That's why I love it so. I, I yeah, I'm with you. I, I on the per, on the imperfect. I'm with you on the imperfections here. Um, yeah. But I feel like the imperfections here are a bit contrived and part of this Buckingham manic episode I mean, going on. So he did, there this. was no veto use for him. I do think that's a bit of an issue. And uh, with the, it really did create a major power imbalance because um, the other writers, because Buckingham, th so this is a double album with 20 songs. Nine of them were by Buckingham. Christine McVie got six and um, she, uh, of the songs she bought in, all but one of them were used. Stevie Nicks got five songs, which is more than she'd ever gotten before. But by this point in time, she was such a prolific writer and only getting stronger, frankly. I think we hear that in her songs here. And yeah. she was writing all kinds of stuff during this era. And But because she had to fight harder to get her songs on the album, that really did lead to her eventually pursuing a solo career. She had too many songs to offer the world and it was during this era she did write a lot of the songs that ended up on the belladonna album yeah and, and we're going to talk about this some more too but i i've listened to this album close to 20 times <laughs> now and i'm telling you since the first listen through i had this almost i felt sorry for mick fleetwood throughout this whole album because i feel like He's such a prolific percussionist, and I just feel like some of the percussion in here is is terrible. Not, I'm, no, you know what? Terrible is a, a, a well. Not all of it was played by him. Too. I do know that. I, I, <laughs> I we're going to talk about that because that that was a deep dive for me because I couldn't wrap my brain around what we're going to talk about there. But it, it just I don't know, man. I don't know. It I felt sorry for Mick on this one. Maybe I'm totally off the, maybe I'm totally wrong. You know, maybe um, he had a blast being outside of himself and, and, and doing crazy stuff. And, and well, some of his stories make his, our way into these songs. So good, good, good. You uh, have the don't... inside scoop. I, I, I want to read this book now because it, it just... it's, yeah, it is. It is definitely, uh, it's very technically written because these are producers. And I will say that the, narrative is a bit disjointed between the two writers but the inside stories on these songs are incredible and priceless for fans like me and um Hernan Rojas also ended up uh, embarking on a relationship with Stevie Nicks during this so 
just so much great insight. And I will be sharing some of the most notable tidbits here that I think are important to share. Oh yeah. Speaking of which, and probably the last one in the in the wrap-up of this or you know, the intro of this, but this is literally the most expensive rock album ever recorded. To date it was. It cost a million dollars in 1979. So and uh being that this was a double album, that does bring us to us talking about the commercial prospects of this because oh guess what? This album ended up costing $16, which is like close to $60 today. So this was an expensive album just for sale. Even though it was Fleetwood Mac, not everybody was going to do that. And, uh, well, they didn't. Uh, This album also did get played over the air before its release and people taped the whole thing, which put a damper on it. But really, the price point did not help. I saw that. What was the reason that it was played in its entirety? Was that promotion or was it I'm thinking, the, the band didn't know that was no, going to happen? No, they did not know that it happened. It was because not done with their permission. Somebody got weird. an advanced copy and played it. I try, I tried to find like the reasoning behind it. It's weirdly out of place. You know, I wondered if it was like a stick it to the man kind of thing here where they're like oh you want us to pay 56 dollars for the next fleetwood mac album i'm just we're just gonna play it on the radio and hopefully everybody records it no it i mean it's not known who did the leak but it was not somebody involved in the band and because they that would have been hurting themselves they lost out on money it's like well there go our I mean, it was even said, though, that when the Warner Brothers executives first heard the album, they heard their bonuses go out the window. I I saw a quote by uh, Lindsey Buckingham that said, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the boardroom when they played this album for the first time. But that being said, you can, you know, you guys, if you're first time listeners, you might not know this about me. But if if you've listened to us before. I'm not a big fan of the machine, uh, as I call it. But I gotta say, putting myself in the place of the machine on this one, there's no way, and there's no way that anybody at Warner Brothers didn't know that this was gonna be a bad, a bad news album. You know, like as far as sales, uh, especially coming off rumors. You, I don't care if they built a studio in Timbuktu. You know damn right well you got people in there listening and seeing what's going on. It's wild, man. It speaks, in in my opinion, it speaks to the power of the star power of Fleetwood Mac at this point because it's almost like Warner Brothers just crossed their fingers and closed their eyes and hoped that this was going to come out like a, another Rumors. Um, but they had to know that this was going to be some crazy avant-garde off-the-wall shit. Uh, no, Warner was... Pr- they, Warner Brothers in its day was very artist friendly and just let them do what they want. But wow, in this case, they probably did love that because yeah, it's sold over now at this point over six million copies worldwide. But well, rumors is sold over forty million. So yeah, it's a it's it would be considered a flop by by those standards. It still had some hits on it, and it's very but it's uh gained a cult following over the years and uh, um it's uh now many will say it's ahead of its time um i mean 
I first heard this album, it was my senior year of high school. And uh, just these songs in there, they always have really spoken to me. And um, this will be a different one for us, but I'm really ready to dive into it. I'm, I'm ready to talk about all these songs. I know we did the hot tea take earlier, but it's super cool. <laughs> and we get to do the Zoom and I get to see you. But even here, you say the way you love this album and the way it's it's been your white album is cool. So I, I'm super excited. Yes. I, I don't I don't think it's a white album, but I, I'm oh. super excited to hear about your white album. Oh, uh, it, it's my white album. All right. <laughs> well, let, let's get at it. All right. So our album begins with over and over. Um, this is a Christine McVie composition. And um, very and now at this point in time, Christine McVie was dating Beach Boy Dennis Wilson. And uh, he did come to the studio and he had ideas for some of these songs, including this one. He suggested the band play descending chords from the chorus and have softer harmonies. And it was his ideas were used in the song, bottom line. Uh, we hear all of that in this. And it's a very mellow, summery opener. And it's a bit of a, it's honestly a kind of a red herring, I would say, for the album, because it is not, we're not going to be getting an album full of songs like this. But, um, I mean, I've said, if you ha haven't listened to our episode on the dance, please do that. But there I do talk about, like, Christine McVie just has that perfect pop song touch. And I think that, I think her songs here, for the most part, exemplify that and this is a example of that it, it's not her most upbeat or catchy thing she ever did but i love that it is such a red herring i love that and it's a pretty song too i think it is a pretty song a red herring is a perfect way to describe this because it is not what we get on this album for the most part um 100% with you on the Christy McVie stuff, you know, we've talked about it before, but she's got that touch and this is, is there, um, her boyfriend being there. And I, I read somewhere that Mick, uh, no, not Mick, that Lindsay had gotten like unreleased beach boy stuff and they were listening to it there. Yeah. And a lot of that sound got in here. I, I can see that here. It's a really slow and laid back sound. Like it's, it's not that I don't expect that from them. This, the production on this first track, and I, I come to understand that that this is part of their sound. This is like the only part of the red herring that's actually real here. It's just not as full as what I usually expect from Fleetwood Mac. So that was in this beautiful song, in this, in, in this, a long four minutes and 34 seconds song, but in this beautiful song, that was the one thing that stood out. It's like, why is this produced so flat? Um, and we'll see why as we go through this album, you know, it, they, they were trying a million different things. But yeah, Red Herring, what a perfect way to put that. Yeah. Slow opener for a uh, slow opener for this this album, but it it's a beautiful song. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we're going to actually get a bit more of a taste of what this album will actually be like with track number two. The Ledge. This was the first song that Lindsey Buckingham brought in for the album sessions. And, uh, oh, everyone was so confused. It's like, what? 
because it's very intentionally distorted in its sound. Uh, it's like very heavy feedback, uh, very noisy. It's kind of even hard to decipher his vocals at times. That being said, though, he's still Lindsay Buckingham, and his just natural tunesmith still comes through in this song. Like, this is still an earworm of a tune. Like, this is one of those songs that gets stuck in my head all the time. Like, I'm always thinking, counting on my fingers, counting on my toes, all the time. Uh, Yeah. I mean, his songs here, many of them are just angry rants towards Stevie Nicks, because he's pissed, but about a lot of things, I'm sure, but that's who he's going to take the anger out on. But, uh, yeah, I've always really liked this tune, but uh, it, it to me, it's a mood. I would say this is a mood song. I can see, I can see you there on the mood. I, uh, I can also see you on Lin, Lin, the respect for Lindsey Buckingham and his awesomeness as, as a musician. For me, first note on this is I have what band is this question mark exclamation point and then through listens there's there's a really I it's tough for me to say this there is a really cool Fleetwood Mac song in here right in my opinion it shares this manicness that's coming from Buckingham and it's sped up to the point where I, I start to lose the beauty of this song and the production is so rigid and crass. And I understand that's where he's coming from. And musically, I dig the ideas that are going on here a lot. Again, speaking of Buckingham and his musicianship, a lot gets done in this two minutes and seven seconds. It's not so much an incomplete thought, but almost like a rushed thought. And I, I, I'm with you, a mood of of where he is right now. I, I don't even mind. I, 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 it's not that I don't mind. I enjoy when he rants on Stevie Nicks. I love that openness. I think that's what makes them as a band so awesome and, and just enduring. But uh, this one, this one it, it, it threw me for a loop. It, it has through the 20 listens it has really become one that i enjoy because i've dissected it musically but man it's it's a wild take here on number two on, on a fleetwood mac album i try to put myself into the the shoes of a first-time listener back then as well you know uh and this one definitely i feel like i would have been looking around the room like what is going on here <laughs> you know first time out well uh I mean, it's a pretty, it's a beloved enough song that actually Fleet, there, the Fleetwood Mac fan forum is called The Ledge. There you go. There so you go. I I am a fan of this one. I played this on my, I played a lot of these songs on my college radio show, actually. This is a bedrock album of those days, let me tell you. Uh, I like it. Yeah. But um, now before we 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply move on and even think about the next song don't just think but do subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to us and leave us a nice rating and review and also follow us on facebook and instagram at turntables and t podcast and on x at turntables t where you can get all our latest episodes but now we are going to move on to our next song which is think about me uh, next, Christine McVie song, and this is just a straight ahead rocker, and uh, it's awesome. It's definitely, I do think this is the most rumors sounding song on this whole album, Um, but it's great. It absolutely, uh, it was a single and it absolutely deserved to be where we failed was in North America. We decided not to make it a big hit. It only made it to number 20 on the Hot 100 and 24 in Canada. And uh, that, my friends, is a true chart travesty because this is a banger. This is a Christine McVie classic. And uh, yeah, if you've been sleeping on Think About Me, you're get stop doing so and just listen to it. This is awesome. I think. Yeah, this is a great tune, man. Uh, you get that beautiful Mick Fleetwood intro where he just slaps us in on a quick four. Um, I do get a, a new feeling of Fleetwood Mac here, but it feels like a Fleetwood Mac song, and I, I super can get behind it. There are some of the most beautiful harmonies inside of this song. Just mind-blowing harmonies that I really enjoy. If you know, uh, we're doing this album wise the first side of this this first album this is a really high point and i enjoy it yeah most definitely uh i mean yeah this is just one of those songs you just have to listen to it and love it it's really it's really that simple um but now we are back to lindsey buckingham with track number four Save Me a Place. Uh, this is a softer Buckingham composition, not the norm here. Um, just what's his lady to save him a place? That's the song. It's a simple song. Um, this one I do think feels unfinished and not in a good way for me. Uh, it's just, it's not bad, but it's, there's a much better, soft, more complete Buckingham track much later in the album. And, uh, I'm going to say it now. This is the weakest song on side one of this album for me. Yeah, it's it's one of those Buckingham tunes. We're getting we're going to get a bunch of them here where most of them are under three minutes. There's a lot going on in them. Uh, This one here has a lot of really beautiful vocal harmonies. Again, there's some really great Buckingham guitar here, too. For me, there's almost like this tribal sound going on here, almost like a Native American drum uh, that that rides throughout. But I'm with you. It it is 
an incomplete thought musically. Uh, not where it makes me say, oh my gosh, what's that half a song? But more so in, it just never, it never gets all the way on its feet for me. Um, as much that, as much as going on here, it never feels fully realized. I mean, even though I do think a lot of these songs, I mean, most of the songs are short, but he definitely had an intention and I feel for the most part succeeded in getting there. But, well, uh, in the meat, but um, actually, you know what? We're not going to talk about him again until another song because it's, it's time for track five, the the big one. Uh, um, Okay, our first Stevie Nicks song on the album, Sarah. Um, this is the album's biggest chart hit, actually. Uh, this was the uh, this was a number seven in the U.S. Um, but uh, this is a this song is so. You're not gonna say this is incomplete. There's a lot going on here, and this song's meaning has been debated furiously for years. Nobody can seem to decide what it is. Um, so there was a Sarah named Sarah Recor. She was good friends with Stevie Nicks and uh, like part of her entourage at this point in time. And she embarked on a relationship with Nick Fleetwood. She ended up marrying him, actually. And it's been said that Sarah is Sarah Recor. The other thing, though, is to, uh, the wrinkle to this story is... Uh, Don Henley saying, oh no, it's about me and our relation, my relationship with Stevie Nicks and the baby that she never had because she did get pregnant with his baby, but he pressured her to have an abortion and she did that. And she said, if I did have that baby, it would have been named Sarah. So, lot to unpack there. <laughs> Because I can't find that part in the lyrics. So is it Henley saying that, being, being like, oh, it's me? I don't know. I just, I really have tried to get behind both theories here. And it, it seems more so plausible for the first theory as far as the lyrics break down than the latter of the of the unborn baby, you know? Yeah, I mean, the song, I think, is emotional enough for it, but the most Stevie Nicks said that she has not actually revealed what the song is about. Um, and she did say, like, yes, if I had had that baby, it would have been named Sarah, but that's not the whole story. This song could very well be about more than one thing. Um, because, funny story, this is this song is over six minutes long, but it was originally 16 minutes long. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, wasn't Sarah by her side doing the 16 minutes of tape? Is it, it, Did I read that incorrectly? Um, um, like, I mean, yeah, yeah, I would say she was because she was part of her entourage. Stevie Nicks had a group of girlfriends that were with her at all times during the sessions, and one of them was Sarah Recor. And I can't remember, and I, I should have noted this, but when I was reading into this one, when she first brought it 
at that 16 minutes. I don't know if it was a collective band thing. It or was not. That they had said like, hey, man, that's almost not too long at 16 minutes. And it's we can hear it's like a travel through your relationships type of thing. Yeah. Um, well, that not Lindsey Buckingham had not heard it at that point in time. So maybe that was Mick Fleetwood that said yeah, it. it. Yeah, I believe it was. It was definitely not right. Lindsey Buckingham. So at this, uh, um, Stevie Nicks at this point, she was doing her own demos. Um, and she was working on a lot of them with the engineer Hernan Rojas and um, also the guitarist Tom Moncrief and the backup singer named Annie McLoon. They, and Sarah was one of the demos that they worked on together. And they did these before they were going to bring them to the band. But Hernan Rojas really knew Sarah's a special song. You absolutely have to have it on the album. They did work to edit it down and they did it. And even Lindsey Buckingham could not deny that it was that song. Um, even if he's ranting about this woman on many of these songs, he couldn't deny this one. And... uh I mean, it's amazing to me that this is very, I think, rather sophisticated poetry that we're listening to here. But they were able to make it into a pop song, and it was a hit, And but it's just a song that cannot be denied. And regardless of what it's actually about, the song makes, it makes the listener feel something, and it's about how it makes you feel at the end of the day. And... That, I think, is the true beauty of the song, Sarah. Yeah, man, I love this song. I love this song from the first time I ever heard it. Um, I first listened to Now, it's made its way into my playlists. It It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, as far as it goes on this album, right off the bat, we get that echo on her voice and that really sings to the new sound. And I love that because it doesn't have to take away from this beautiful song to be the new sound. But Stevie is undeniably on her own, killing it throughout this, this song. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I'd also like to take note that it's going to end this next song is going to end this side of this album. And we're going to see that mimicked on the second side of this album. And that, in my opinion, really speaks to her and, and speaks to this anchor of a songstress that we have here uh, inside of this beautiful entourage, this beautiful band, um, and, and how powerful her stuff is, even at this level in her game, even at this this point in her life, how powerful and and really poignant her songwriting is. This is an anchor for me. This is an anchor to this first side, but also an anchor to this album. And she's an anchor to this album, in, in my opinion. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. But I really, really dig this song. Yeah. And uh, it's funny we speak of anchors for the album. So um, there is a story I did not tell in the preamble that I absolutely must tell. It's about the album cover. So um, the dog that we see on the album cover actually was the engineer Ken Callier's dog, uh, Scooter, biting his pants leg. And uh, that was not supposed to be the original cover. cover. Uh, apparently Mick Fleetwood had said the Stevie Nicks, no, it can, it's, you're going to be on the cover. 
it's going to be you dancing and twirling. Uh, it was not, and uh, she was not happy, and she actually, um, the dog sadly got hit by a car not long after the album was released, and she actually said to Ken Kaye that she was glad the dog died, and that she put a curse on it for stealing her cover. Which... That's some Sister of the Moon shit right there. We're going to get to that later on, but that's that deep, dark Stevie Nicks shit, man. She says it, you know? There's there's that that trollish Stevie Nicks that lives yeah. inside. <laughs> it's a oh, horrible thing to say, but also absolutely hilarious. And absolutely Stevie Nicks. Oh. Right? You know, that's what makes her so so stevie <laughs> yes and um speaking of that i have seen her several times we saw her she did not do this song she does not do it often live and um it's a heavy song to do it, and it's a lot mm. of words but you know what she she did say that she planned to tour until she's 80 so we have a few years so stevie next just do us a favor and sing sarah please yeah i'd love to see this live that'd be cool yeah I, I don't care. It's actually, this is um my own personal heartbreak song because my senior year of high school when I listened to this, I was in love with a girl named Sarah. And of course, I was rejected and listened to this all the time. There you go. Because why wouldn't I? There you go. There why you why go. wouldn't I? There was yeah. a song right there. Perfect for the time. Good Perfect. one, a good one. Yes, but... Oh, it, it's over, sadly. We have to flip it over. And um, we're back to Lindsay Buckingham with What Makes You Think You're the One. And uh, this is Lindsay Buckingham. Uh, uh, another strange technique. He used a boombox input to, to record this song to give it an old rock and roll feel, which I can hear that. It definitely has that punk new wave influence. Um. It's one of his longer songs here, and I do think that, again, the pop smarts come out in this song, because it, again, is an earworm. And, um, yeah, it it's just another fuck you to Stevie Nicks, but, uh, you know what? He explores different facets of that, I think, in these songs, and I, I like this one a lot, too. Um, it is a bit more complete than some of his others. I think that helps, but I think it's a good start to side two. And I do think that the vinyl spacing is important to this album, even though I like listening to it all the way through. But it does there there's a reason it's done this way, too. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that later on. I actually have a point where I'm I'm probably going to repeat it, but really. If, if you guys try anything, try to listen to this the way it was structured rather than one to to 20. You know what I'm saying? There's there's a real rhythm. There's a real uh, reason for the place of everything. We talk about this a lot, but uh, there's one thing that I would never take away from this album is every track is exactly where, in my opinion, exactly where I think it's supposed to be on purpose. It oh, yeah. is the only way I can say that. You know? It's all very intentional. Um, yeah, this 
This one, you you love it. I, I'm with this one, actually. I, I said it before. I like when they're super open. And I knew I literally in my first listen through my first two notes for this was what is going on the, with the percussion here, which I learned this this whole crazy wild boom box um, recording technique was going on. And, and, and I answered that question. But my next one on my first listen is is this a diss track question mark exclamation point and shit, yeah. shit. Yes, it, it is. is now come to find out not only is it a you know a narratively a diss track but buckingham went out of his way to not play guitar on this and play a crass just terrible uh, or i shouldn't say terrible mediocre on purpose piano here because he knew that that was something that Stevie Nicks was self-conscious about. And, and I I read that McVie played it on tour and she was like, it's so oh, terrible yeah. because you just have to clunk on these chords. Her, her exact quote was her wrists were spaghetti by the end. But back to the, uh, I, you know, the evil genius of a musical diss track and what makes them so wild as a band is that's how much they know each other uh hate each other love each other whatever you want to call it this is such an evil genius diss track man Lindsay, you are you are one of the the evilest geniuses i know yeah <laughs> for this one i mean do we have cry me a river without this i'm not so sure we do <laughs> without these diss tracks that Lindsay was dropping i i'm i'm loving it but you've you got to be in a petty mood for it. But we, we are not <laughs> going to stay in petty land for this next song. No, no, no. We are back to Stevie Nicks with track number seven, Storms. Um, This is about the dissolution of her relationship with Nick Fleetwood. They had an affair during the Rumors tour. And he was married to his wife, Jenny, at the time. Um... So, uh, obviously, yes, she knew the relationship was completely doomed and that it was a terrible idea, but she did it anyway. Uh, but that's basically, this is a pure heartbreak bound, and it's a very stark song. Um, but that's the point. Uh, this isn't a pop song. This is, um, just a sparse, beautiful poem. But, uh, it, it, honestly, I find the vocal on it to be just breathtaking and tinged with all the heartache described in this lyrics. This song just wrecks me every time. Um, and, uh, I mean, you know, if you're ever on that level, you know, I, I can relate to always being a storm, just jumping through those hoops, never been a blue calm sea. Uh, just always doing that. Um, and funnily enough, Lindsay Buckingham's girlfriend at the time, Carol Ann Harris, wrote a book about her time with Lindsay and Fleetwood Mac, and it was called Storms, of all things. Oh, man. Which I love that, actually. Uh, it's power right there. That's power. Yeah, man. Speaking of love and power, I love this powerful song, this unapologetically beautiful song. Um it it really is just top notch. They're reminiscent of some, 
Grateful Dead sounds early on to me. Uh, I, I just, I love it. That slow picked, hand picked acoustic is just so beautiful. Uh, you know, Lindsay doesn't have to worry about talking shit in this one. So he, he lays down this beautiful slow pick acoustic and lets, you know, two other band members hash out some things, but really unapologetically beautiful. This song from start to finish. For me, it's another super, super awesome victory for, for Nick's on this album. It It is, is super strong, man. And this is their second showing so far, and both of them have been home runs, in my opinion. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and uh, we've got more to go, fortunately, but oh, not quite yet. We're back to Lindsay, but um, this is not a shit talking song. That's all for everyone. Uh, this is kind of him saying, like, he's saying goodbye to all of this, even though he's not leaving the band. So, in that case, it's kind of an odd song to have here. Um, I mean, honestly, all these songs, the, the point of it is that it's a bit discombobulated, all of this. Uh, I like that this is a slower Lindsey Buckingham song. I think it's well-placed after Storms. Um, I'm sorry, whenever I hear, like, that's all, I think of Porky Pig every time I hear this song. I'm sorry, that wasn't the point, but I do. Uh, it's a neat song. It's not, it's not my favorite here, but it is a nice song. I'll say that. Love this song. I love the sound on this one. I think here's a hot tea take. Super hot tea take. I think this is the closest that he came. If not the only time he was a hundred percent successful at the sound that he was looking to get on this album. Uh, This, this one is really produced at a genius level. There it's again, it's a Buckingham joint and it gets a lot done in this three minutes, but even the marimba or the xylophone or whatever's going on, all of these sounds are perfect. They're not stepping on each other's toes. There's a chaos, but it's so well done on this genius level that I, I give respect to this one. A lot of the, his tracks on here are are almost a little bit of a throwaway or a little bit of a too contrived shot at a totally different sound for me. But this one, this one sticks the landing, as we say, uh, as far as this is this new avant garde sound that he's going after here. Okay. All right. Uh. Now I'm worried what you're going to say. You say so many throwaways. I'm a little nervous what you're going to say about the next song. I I only say throwaways in the fact of, of looking for this. He's throughout whatever he's bringing in the studio, doing push-ups on a mic, yada, yada. All these wild stories, all these manic things that, that are going on. I say throwaway because I feel like a lot of it ends up sounding contrived in its in its quest to be something where i i I mean you're freaking lindsey buckingham you don't have to quest to be something else i'm always about an evolving sound but not at the risk of sounding contrived in your music so that that's my only real beef not getting too far ahead but that's my only real beef with 
him on this album with them on this album, but more so him because I put 98% of the responsibility of that fact on him because he's pushing for this, as we said earlier, you know? Yeah, but like he also does tell us it's not that funny, is it? On yeah. our on our next song. Uh yeah, this is the song he recorded in the push-up position. Um and uh yeah, of all the angry songs on this album, this is the angriest, actually. Uh and um it's super spiteful and it has a um to put it mildly, it has a sexual undertone to it. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's a short little nasty song that, um, I mean, it's a highlight for me. I love this one. I mean, it's very angry, but he gets his point across. And this was a wild one on the tour. This song got extended out to almost nine minutes when played live on the Tusk tour. And he really went all out in it and uh, just became a different person performing Not That Funny. Uh, But yeah, this is another petty classic. And uh, it was released as a single in the UK, Germany, and Netherlands. And uh, it didn't chart, but well, it's still a favorite of many, including me. I could see how this could go as a performance piece, as something where he could fully embody what i i see in this attempt at this post-punk sound on this album i say attempt here because this one falls this is the perfect example for me of falling flat and feeling contrived as far as this post-punk talking heads-esque sound here um, I know the, the super high strings are supposed to be off-putting with the constant repeated riff. And I understand that musically. I really do. I just feel like it's in this shortened experience here. I I feel like, i tell you what, it, it's on the number nine track. And I have the note here. This is Talking Heads meets Revolution 9 to me. This is just a wild cacophony of sounds, a collage, if you must, with this talking heads undertone here. And I just I don't know this one. This one. It's not it's not a victory for Buckingham to me. I would love to see this live in a nine minute where he takes on this character, so to speak, inside of the performance as a performance piece. I could see that. But for me here. It ain't funny how much I dislike this song. Oh man. I'm sorry. I, I it just it, I understand what it's set out to do. I understand musically the attempts here. I this one just doesn't stick it for me. And it, it's coming right off of one that I think is the per I, I again it's coming off one that I think is the perfect um victory for him. And then you've got the perfect example of what. I think is his downfall on this album. And that is attempting and sounding contrived. All righty. Well, uh, speaking of performance pieces, we're on to another one um, with the end of side two track 10 sisters of the moon, definitely a left turn from the last song, but um, this is a, this is not a song about a man. This is about that sisterhood of ladies 
that Stevie Nicks bought with her everywhere. They each wore a cre golden crescent moon necklace. So they were Sisters of the Moon. And this song really is about that. It was debuted live during the um, 1978 tour. I think it's a very solid rocker. Great guitar on it, especially. Uh, possibly, it's definitely one of the best Buckingham guitar performances on the album. This might be a hot tea take. I don't know. This is, to me, of the Nick's songs on the album. This, to me, is the weakest. But they're all really strong songs. Like, it's just the competition is that strong. I still think it's a really nice little song. Um, And I heard it live when I saw them in 2015. But for many years before that, it was done as a really extended live song. It was not on this tour. And it wasn't really... It was done straight ahead, um, but it isn't really one of the songs I remember hearing the most because, well, hey, I also heard uh, Stevie Nicks sing Gypsy and Gold Dust Woman the same night. Like, it's just, again, the in comparison. That's really where this falls a bit for me. Um, but uh, it was the last single release from the album, and it made it to 86 on the Hot 100. Do I think it should have charted higher than that? Yes, but I wouldn't have made it a single, actually. I'm with you. I, as epic as this is, and I, straight from my notes, by the end of this song, it is a truly realized masterpiece of the Fleetwood Mac sound. I mean, it's up there, man. This... I won't say this is my least favorite by her as far as hers. I really jam with this, but I wouldn't, I, I don't think it's a single, uh, you know, it, it maybe it sits in the time, like four minutes and 42 seconds. I guess that's, that's right around the end of, of radio friendly, but this definitely, I would have loved to see chart higher in the same breath. This is, it's a great song. I, I understand it's going up against some hardcore, competition on this That's album the, yeah. most definitely and especially in a live setting i can understand going up against some other stuff but i'd love to hear this one live i dig this i i really think i dig this the most again 20 listens and 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 really some deep dives in here if her just saying like hey this is one where it's not the guy it's not this it's not that it's just a feeling that I was feeling and, 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 you know, the, the sisters and the whole thing. I, I dig that. I like her getting outside of just talking about love and, and doing a character doing her inside character, uh, paraphrasing, but that, that was coming from her as well. I dig this song, man. Yeah. <laughs> really this do. is the one who puts curses on dogs for stealing her album cover. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. This is some sisters of the moon type shit there. Again, I I'll go back to noting that this is going to cap off that first album uh, or the first record of this, yes. of this two record run and rightfully so this album is really anchored by her on both sides again. And I, I think that she shines doing that. Oh, most definitely. But yeah, this is a double album. It might be of the vinyl era, the first double album we've done, I think. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. I think yeah. it might be. Wow. It actually, there you go. It's taken it us is. a while, but we're doing it. Um, interesting. My dad actually had this album, but he bought the double album, but he got the first one twice and no second album. Get out of town. Yeah. <laughs> Like an error? Like there was yeah. two first albums in it? Yep. Oh, man. Oh, I mean, I would have been pissed because, oh, you're Ex- missing you're yeah. missing out on stuff. Especially how expensive it was. A $56 app? Well, like in today, it would be $56. But $16 album? Shit. I'd be pissed. Take that right back. I got two doubles to the first one. Give me another one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's tough. But yes, no, we do have a second album and it begins. uh, Now we begin with a Stevie Nicks song on the side. Um, This is Angel. Uh, This is actually the second Fleetwood Mac song with this title. The first one was on the 1974 album Heroes Are Hard to Find, which was the last Fleetwood Mac album before Buckingham and Nicks joined. So can't be the same song because it's a Stevie Nicks song. Uh, This is probably... The one song here about Lindsey Buckingham and just where they stood at this point in time, because it's the angel of the past relationship. I mean, lyrically, again, I think the song is on point, but also this is like the closest I think Fleetwood Mac ever came to doing a disco song because it, it's got some funkiness to it. And uh, yeah, I love it. I love the funky bass line and, uh, this might be the hot tea take for me. This should have been the single instead of Sisters of the Moon. I think this is as radio ready as dreams. I mean, maybe it could have done with an edit or two, but I really have always just enjoyed this song. And it's again, it's got a great hook. She isn't always a hook songwriter, but here she has a legitimate one. And uh, It's awesome. One of my favorite college memories is one day closing out my radio show with this song and going down to return the materials and hearing this playing over. They didn't always have the station on, but they did sometimes. It's like, yeah, I'm playing Angel by Fleetwood Mac. Uh, No one else might be doing it, but I am because it's an awesome song. There you go. It is a great song. It is a great song. The production is a tad weird on it for me. In the sense of that bass guitar is so in the foreground, it's off-putting a little bit. But again, after listening 20 times, that musical nitpicking comes in there. Um, it, it's a good one. It's a really great way, to, a really fresh way, and a really great way to start the second album, in my opinion. Something that, at this point, we're definitely not expecting musically, sonically, and I think it really shines because of that, but also, you know, we, we do that. Uh, we talk about palate cleansers, but in this sense, more so a really neat palate cleanser in here. That's going to open our listening ears back up in, in a happy way. And I, I dig it for that a little bit too heavy on that bass in the foreground though, in a production level. Damn it. No, it's perfect. <laughs> 
It's so in the foreground, man. Because it's kick-ass. That's I'm, why it's gotta be. I'm not even bullshitting. I literally stopped the first time I was listening to this to check if my levels were correct. And uh, <laughs> I swear, I'm not even messing with you. Hmm. That 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 is real. That <laughs> it's a it's so listen to it. It's it's a it's literally on top That's of the point. Vocal. That's why it's good. I mean, I'm down. It, it is good musically, but that bass is on top of the vocals. That is a no-no. I, I chalk that up to Lindsay Buckingham's craziness. But <laughs> Well, she sings through it anyway because she's CB Nicks and she has a powerful fucking voice and John McVie's bass is awesome. So It is. It's. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from either of those. I'm saying yeah. whoever... No. Did final production on this fucked up? <laughs> no, they were absolutely cracked. <laughs> they were. They might have been high doing it, but they were cracked. Well, the bass was way too high. No, <laughs> no. That you know what that gets us into our next song because that's enough for me of that negative talk. Um, I heard that. apparently this is a country influence composition, which I. I mean, there's the banjo in it, but I think that's a stretch to say, even if that is from one of the album's producers. Uh, another short one. I think this one gets to the point. My favorite part of this was actually his vocals. Like, I just like the, yeah, yeah. That's my uh, highlight of this one for me. It's very fast. It's very quick. I'm sure it was a really fun live song as well. Uh is it frenetic? Absolutely. But um, you know, I still enjoy it. I don't know. Like, I know he's crazy. I know these songs are off the wall, but they just, they speak to a certain part of me. They really do. I respect that. It, it's a Buckingham mini thought. It's another time where I think there is hot tea take. I think there's a better song inside of it, not bum rush through in a minute and 50 seconds. It's a Buckingham mini thought here. I can see the jovialness in it. I and I like that. I can see the craziness in it. And sometimes I like that, but I don't know. It's it's I can see where you say white album. Like it's a crazy little tune stuck in here. It's just it's there for me. It's not it's not necessarily a high or a low point of this album. I mean, I know I would say yeah, it's middle of the pack when it comes to the album overall but he's just he's on his stuff here i mean if we're going to use the white album analogy i would say he's on his john lennon shit here agreed agreed it has it has that lennon-esque off the wall yeah. wildness there i uh, conspiracy theory sarah goes to what makes you think you're the one <laughs> next to, to, to buckingham and then we get this angel and then Buckingham sticks. That's enough for me. I, I think they're digs. That maybe it's the conspiracy in me, but he has no, final that's say on the part of the fun goes. of yeah. That's part of the fun of listening to a Fleetwood Mac album is they're <laughs> having a conversation with each other. I, I definitely even see though it well, most of the time she's not singing about him actually here. Um, she was that time, but it was a kick-ass song so it doesn't even but uh, enough about Lindsay and stevie we're back to our friend christine with brown eyes which christine McVie originally said she was about adult her dog 
but it was actually about Dennis Wilson, even though he had green eyes. This is a very melancholy song, but I'm not going to lie. When I hear you look at me with those brown eyes, yes, I do think of beagles that I've owned. <laughs> not going to lie there. It's definitely not about a dog. I mean, yeah, it is a melancholy song, but it's also a very lovely song. I mean, beautiful harmonies of the most musically notable thing about the song is actually one of the people who plays on it. Founding member Peter Green um, left the band early on, but he plays guitar here, and it's most prominently heard on the outro. His parts were muted quite a bit because they didn't really fit the vibe of the song. They were a bit too bluesy, but I like that the band is embracing its roots here. They did start off as a British blues band, even before Christine joined, and she was a British blues singer even before she joined. They're really going back to that, but it's still very much in with the sound of what we're hearing on this album. This is not that far away from Over and Over for or her other songs on the album. Uh, I think it's a really great melding of these styles. And uh, it took almost 40 takes, but they got it right, I think. This is... Uh, one of my favorites. I actually, it's my favorite Christine song here. It it is a good Christine McVie song. It's a perfectly great track. For me, there's no vocals that take the foreground here, though, and it comes off a bit of like there's no lead vocal here. Uh, it almost sounds like it's a track that's given to somebody to put lead vocals on. Other than that, like, that's me nitpicking it. I, I really think, I like I say, 98% of the responsibility of the production here I'm putting on Buckingham. And I think that these wild levels and these going against the, I'll use the word norm, or going against the, the rules of production shine through in sometimes, in my opinion, the worst spots. Because, th like I said, this is a, a really great song super cool all the way through and i feel like they don't push the vocals enough and it, it never sounds like it has a lead vocal throughout this whole song which i don't expect from her and that's why i even bring this up inside of it like it's these small it, small things in in these this production that really throw me for a loop sometimes that's the point though <laughs> I, I maybe maybe so maybe so I, I'm what? and I'm with that I respect I respect some Fair. of that but why take away from her vocals here on such a beautiful song just to prove a point you no, know but like, the vocals no they still work because she's good enough that she can just glide across the song like that it's that's I, why I, it works damn it maybe <laughs> so maybe so I say don't break the rules darn it <laughs> you're talking I, like the machine the levels here are fucked man i'm sorry the levels are fucked this is the second time i, I like this song i really do i just the levels are fucked as far as push her vocals up so i want to grab the board and push her vocals up it's it's wild it's it's it makes me think that my speakers are broken <laughs> it messes with my brain oh you should listen to this on DVD audio, actually. It's quite awesome. Heard that. Full surround sound. Yeah, I'm I'm crazy, folks. I do have the super deluxe box edition of this album. Along with 
other Fleetwood Mac albums because that's just who I am as a person. Get used to it. If, if <laughs> you should know that by now, if you've been listening to us for a while, but yes, had it since 2015, a prized possession of mine, and uh, it will it will never make me cry, which is the name of our next song. Um, another McVie ballad. Uh it's uh, none of her songs are unpleasant to listen to. They're all perfectly pleasant to listen to. Unfortunately, this is her weakest song here. And a big part of that is the fact that it's just not finished. It's uh, not even two and a half minutes. Like uh, her better songs here had so much more room to breathe. And especially after Brown Eyes, man, this is a bit of a, it's a bit of a letdown. Um, I'm not going to lie. It, it's just a forgettable song in the context of this album, I'm afraid. Like, it's not one of the ones that gets stuck in my head at random points of the day, like many of these other songs do. It's just not. We're on the same page again. <laughs> I, oh, good. It's, a, it's a short and sweet thought by her, but it's too short for the placement where it is, especially coming off another one of her songs, and it falls flat because of that. It it doesn't stand out. It doesn't add to the album here. I I really do think somewhere else on this album it might have been able to be put in and be a little mellow mood, maybe, but not here. Yeah, I, I for me, I this is straight from the notes. This one hits the the cutting room floor for me. I don't I don't think the album is better or worse off without it. And for that, I say don't put it on there. You know. I mean, yeah, I agree. And also knowing just knowing some of the other songs Stevie Nicks had written during this era is um also a bit frustrating because a. a yeah, for well, as we are using this Beatles analogy, she's at this point not stylistically the same, but she is in the George Harrison role of having to fight to get her songs on the album. Heard. And it's she's grown so much at this point in time. That's me getting off track because we all know the man of the hour here is Lindsey Buckingham, and he's going to end off side free with "I Know I'm Not Wrong," a true Lindsey solo track. He's a one man band here. This one. I mean, this is one of the, his more complete songs here. It is more of a complete thought. And uh, it's one I've always, some of it admittedly for me, I did, uh, this was one of the songs that I heard during that first Fleetwood Mac show I went to in 2015. And it was awesome just seeing him go at this one. Like you could tell he was so passionate about this song. And uh, I mean, I don't think he's wrong for that. I really, again, just these uh, it's a it is more streamlined than the other ones i i think and um it still does have that wild energy but it's not on the level of like the ledge yep i just i really like this song <laughs> and i know i'm not wrong i don't think you're wrong either this song's one of his more successful not uh, not most because i've said mo his most successful in my opinion already but one of his more successful uh, victories here my nitpick on this is that he waits until the end of the song to let go on that guitar <laughs> and i really wish he would have done that as a bridge and at the end um i also cannot figure out what the instrument is at one minute and 32 seconds it sounds like an accordion i can't find it anywhere <laughs> in the notes in anything it's a weird wild sound in there it doesn't take me out it's just one of those mysteries 
that I'm trying to figure out. So if anybody out there knows, please let me know. Uh, but yeah, this is a cool one. Uh, it The first time I listened to it, it didn't strike me as cool. Um, it has definitely been a grower on me, but I enjoy this tune. Oh, good. Yeah, we're ending off side three on a good note. And now we're on the side four, our last side. Oh, so sad. We're getting so close to the end. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> don't want at the end but um yeah we've got another short and sweet christine mcvee song to kick things off this one is honey high a love song to dennis wilson and funnily enough this was recorded during game two of the 1978 world series guys just watching the game and christine mcvee walks in and says i need you to do your thing and make honey high a fucking hit those were her exact words like let's go and they did it, I think. This is, again, like, Never Make Me Cry. It's a bit longer than that. It is short, but it does stick out more to me. It has very lovely vocals on it, especially in the, the background. There's so many great harmonies on this song. It's just sweet like honey to listen to. Um, yeah, it's always one I'm happy to listen to, Honey High. It's a happy song. It, yeah. There's nowhere in the song where there is any little bit of unhappiness. And I like it just for that. Um, on top of that, like you said, beautiful vocals throughout here. I love the acoustic uh, composition throughout. It, it really hits correct. It has that Fleetwood Mac feeling on it. And I enjoy that. That I guess I enjoyed the old school thought and processes of of Fleetwood Mac but this one hits man um it is you know a start to the the last side of the album and it's another one here where I feel like we get this really nice happy way to come in almost like Angel was yeah most definitely uh and it, it's needed because we're not gonna stay happy for long folks we are back in heartbreak mode with Ms. Nix and Track 17, Beautiful Child. This one is about her affair with Derek Taylor. He was the press officer for the Beatles. And um, they had an affair, and he was 16 years older than her and married. So she was the much younger party in this, hence why she's singing of herself as a beautiful child, but I'm not a child anymore. Um, Yeah, it's a heartbreaker of a song, but what a... I mean, it's in the title. It's a beautiful song. Just everything. I just think the vocals are on point. Just again, very, it's pure poetry. It's not just a pop song. It goes beyond that. I don't know if she's done it live in a long time. I will say it was one of the highlights of their live in Boston DVD for them to do this song live. It just shows how much her writing grew during this era and she used this beautiful child thing again in a future song called all the beautiful worlds which is also a song i enjoy but uh th this one can't be beat. i love this one it, it's great to hear another full song here um i love when we get the the knicks she feels like she's rounding out this album i know i keep saying that it's up against a bunch of you. We get, I get to the same point where you were as far as like going up against the other Stevie Nicks. For me, this one 
is the my least favorite out of all and i love all of them but if i had to choose this one gets ranked on the bottom only because this one stays around a little bit too long for me just a tad i can uh, see that that's yeah fair. it's a great song it's just, it stays around a little bit too long um but it is it's a beautiful song and uh, we keep saying it but a credit to her evolving and look at her go at this point in her career i mean five really stellar tracks there's I, I five tracks that i haven't been able to really have any problem with on this album you know uh not that i'm looking for problems but it just speaks to her you know it speaks to where she's at i mean i'll, I'll say this now i know we haven't done all of them i do this might be a hot tea take it might not be i do think this is her best collection of songs for a fleetwood mac album overall Wow, heard that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hot tea take if I ever heard one. <laughs> I mean, ru the rumors ones are classics, but I don't want to know is a it's a great song, but it's it's so it's much more lightweight than these, and it's nice, but these just got more punch to them. They I do think indeed. that that's all. They do indeed. That's all. It's just evolved from it all. But uh, we actually are going to stay in softer mood and uh, it's actually because of Lindsey Buckingham, believe it or not, with 18, Walk a Thin Line. This one, oh uh, yeah, okay. So he's done all these very aggressive, punky songs on the album, and I said they really speak to a part of me, really enjoy him, but here, he's just being pure, introspective singer-songwriter. This is more classic Fleetwood Mac sounding, and it shows that he can still do that sound when he wants to. And uh, I think it's awesome. Um, This is one of my favorites here, too. He He's just, you can tell he's really looking into himself and writing a very thoughtful song that also sounds gorgeous. And it's, it's one of his high points here for me. Totally. I, I, I'm with you on the narrative structure and, and what's written here. This song as a musical composition makes my brain hurt. I cannot stand the double snare drums here. They're not in time with each other. It like, it hurt me so much that I had to search this out and find out why, where long story short, Mick Fleetwood was like, dude, you can't put this on the album. Cause it, so it's, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's Buckingham playing these these drum tracks, the snare, and he's doubled them over to mimic something that he heard the Stones do. And yes, he did. And it's it's crazy. I was so happy to see that Mick Fleetwood was like, I I don't want to put this on the album or this like those that percussion because people are gonna think it's me. Uh, and and rightfully so because it's it takes me out so much. In fact, Fleetwood went as far as to record this on his his solo uh, and redo it and, and do it his own way. And it it really it 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 crushes me. It crushes me every time I listen to this song. It just it irks the hell out of me. Um, so that that's. That it takes me, it almost, I shouldn't say it takes me out of the album because it doesn't necessarily take me out of the album, but I just can't get over it. And it, it's there. It's not just once in the song. It keeps going like, oh, why did you choose to overly be out of time in a percussion? I, I, 
because this is a subversive Fleetwood Mac album. That's I, why I'm down with that. Uh, but I go back into the contrived feeling it's that n- I don't want it. It is not see. contrived. He's what? literally taking two drum parts that don't go together on purpose and doubling them up. For me, that is the, the, a textbook example of contrived as far as music goes. And I uh, I di- I dis I dislike that in a major way. I can't get over it. I've tried. <laughs> no, he is playing games with us, and that's what he wants to do, and it works. It works. Gator, Gator don't play. Gator don't play them games. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I'm I'm good without those games. You know me, man. I'm down for avant-garde music. I'm down for silver line and playbooks. That one don't fly. It didn't fly with Mick Fleetwood. Like, that's how, I'm going to use the word again, that's how contrived this thought is. He's so hard on getting this imperfect sound on there. Ah, I'm not not with it. I've said my piece. (laughs) I'm with it all day, every day. (laughs) Okay, well, anyway... We're gonna we're gonna move on to a more percussion heavy song now. Our title track, Tusk. Uh a bit of a crude title, but um yeah, this is the song that introduced this album and era to the world. This was the lead single and it confused the hell out of everybody. Um, because yeah, it's got breathy vocals. Some jungle screaming almost from Lindsay Buckingham and the USC marching band. And it's weird and it's wonderful. (laughs) I mean, this is just such a, there's no song like this. It shouldn't work, but it does. And it's that simple. It's Tusk, man. It's just, it's Tusk. It's a goddamn musical masterpiece. I mean, it, it literally is in every level. This this is what you're looking for, Buckingham. You this is that wild sound that nobody expects from Fleetwood Mac, and it's so successful because it is gloriously intricate and put together and well played, and as far from contrived as you can be. And then Mick Fleetwood wakes up one night by woken by a brass band going down the street. And that's how we get the, you know, the, uh, the college horns here. It's, it is genius on all levels. I said this back at the dance, but I love this song forever. This is, this is, it is avant-garde, but it's so genius. ah, I love this song, man. <laughs> I do. Oh. It, it's it's wild to me that Lindsay held this to be the penultimate track on this album. I mean, well, they wanted to have a wild penultimate track like the Beatles did with the White album. That was I feel, their okay. template. They actually it. said so because um yes, their penultimate was Revolution 9 and then we have the soft and melancholy good night. And well, they do the same trick with us here. With um, we go from Tusk to Never Forget. We close out with Christine McVie again, which uh is wild. Um, I'm not sure it works. I will say in this case, I don't think this works quite as well as the Beatles' example of doing it. But I also think they're just different things. Like Revolution Nines, uh, it's Revolution Nine. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's all I'll say about it. I don't think it's Tusk. Tusk is awesome um, and just objectively musically brilliant. It just... I mean, you could maybe say the same about Revolution 9, but it's it's a lot, and it is more concise than that. Um, this one, again, it's not her most memorable song here, but it's a... I don't think it's bad that they ended the album with a more mellow song. I don't think that's a bad thing. Do I think it's the best mellow song here? Absolutely not, but I think it ends everything just fine, though. It's not one of the most memorable tracks here. And honestly, Tusk could have ended the album well, I think. It could have. And I can see if you're going to go for that. I think this one works here. I think Never Forget really works in that vein here, especially for them. Um, I even like that it fades in and fades out, which I'm usually not a fan of, even though it fades in with a heavy hand production wise. Hot T take. This is my favorite McVie track on the album. I love this track. Uh, and oh. I think it's a suitable closer in the sense of that as well. I was not expecting to hear that. Wow. <laughs> really? It's this one's full of unexpected. It's a beautiful song, but overthink about me, even really. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna wow. say it. I'm gonna say it. this. This is my jam right here. I mean, hey, for her, for her. It. I mean, I'm not gonna fault you for it. It's hard to go wrong with a Christine McVie song, frankly. Um, I but <laughs> she's good like that. She she is good like that. Damn right she is. And wow, that's the end of us talking about Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. What a weird and wonderful album. Well, at least in my opinion. Um, Yeah, I knew I was going to do it sometime this month. I didn't know if it would be first or not, but I knew I really wanted to, to talk about Fleetwood Mac again. And um, uh, Rolling Stone writer David Frick really summed it up by saying, like, people listen to rumors, but people talk about Tusk. This is... Just a more interesting album to discuss than Rumors, just because it is so varied in its styles and off the wall and uh, rebellious. And I mean, it's, it's again, that white album. It's my white album. Uh, I, yeah. But uh, we, I, we were not all the way on the same page. So now I do have to ask, what is your grade for this album? My grade for this one, it was an awesome album to talk about. And I totally agree with the Rolling Stones there, with the Rolling Stones. I totally agree there with Rolling Stone on the fact that it's awesome to talk about. I also agree on the fact that it's awesome to listen to. Uh, while we go through this critically, there's no denying that there are so many beautiful points of music on this album and it really was a adventure in looking for a new sound and we see that throughout whether it was successful in my opinion on every single take it's there and and the the quest was was a rightful the the quest was a a, a just one it was a, a good place to be for them at first, this album really struck me as a disassociated piece. But as I listen through many, many times, it really 
unfolded as a full band piece. Um, whether people say that it's, you know, just three different artists doing their thing, I don't believe that at all. Um, from front to back, it is a full album and it's on purpose. And I, I love an album that's on purpose. For a double, that's a hard thing to do. But all in all, I am giving Tusk a B plus. Yes. Yes, I've succeeded here. I was worried it was going to be lower, but you're right. It is a complete album, despite it. I feel like it kind of is both. I feel like it's both free solo artists and a complete band album, uh, if that's possible. I think it's got both those going for it. But uh, yeah, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear that I'm giving it an A because... <laughs> Well, it's a memorable one. I go back with this album a, a while. It had been a while since I'd really dived into it, but I had a great time doing it. Um, and it's one I still get new things from it, uh, listening to it. It's just one of those things I can always go back to. And that's the beauty of a great album and uh, why I really wanted to do it on this show. So I'm so glad that we did Task. Yeah, What's your favorite song on the album? Sarah. Hands down, okay. easy one for me. Sarah really did it for me. I, I really enjoy that song. I agree. It's Sarah. I mean, you you can't deny the song. You just, it's one of those songs. You can't deny it. Like I beefed with myself because I know McVie doesn't really have a part in that, in, in Sarah, but it just oh. it's the one for me no it is and it's funny if on the dance episode of course i complained about go your own way at the grocery store when i worked there but there was one point they switched it up for me it was a like christmas mix station they would have holiday songs but then other ones and well instead of the rumors tracks i got to hear sarah and gypsy and yeah, that was, I'm always happy to hear Sarah, even in the aisles of the grocery store. I mean, it's higher art than that, of course, but like, why would I complain about hearing Sarah? It's just Let not the masses hear it. It's not <laughs> something that I do. But there yeah, there we have it, folks. Tusk! Um, my first pick. Uh, now I have to make another one. And, and I don't know if we touched on this, but I, I'm going blind for January. Like sometimes we allude to that, you know, we don't have it set up. But this one, I'm I'm hearing it when you guys hear it. So <laughs> here we go. Pick number two. Yeah. What do you got? Well, well, I actually kind of did hint about this a bit. But um, it was when we did our uh, Dolly Parton Rockstar episodes. That was a two part. But uh, in part two, when discussing her duet with Elton John, I said, I really can't believe we haven't done an Elton John album. We need to change that. And, well, we're going to. Uh, and the one we will be doing is a full on-concept album from him. We're going to be doing 1975's Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. A, a oh, true, it is a true concept album about Elton John's life as a rock and roller you know i'm down i that's so crazy because i was just thinking the other day i was like because that stuck with me that we hadn't done an elton john yet and i was like all right so we're gonna get out of january and we got to figure out where we're gonna stick in an elton john album because we gotta do one and that's awesome and what a great one here we go oh, yeah. deep deep cut city 
No, but uh, it's, I mean, spoiler alert, it's my favorite Elton John album because it's such a complete concept. I think it's really well done, but um, I can't wait to revisit it. I'm so excited. I love talking about Elton John. It's so good. And it'll be another good one. But once again, we hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, until then, just t- if, if you're, ha- you know, it's crazy out there. Tell yourself that you are Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy and wait for next week. But until then, yeah, Happy New Year to everybody and welcome to Season 3. Season 3 and happy birthday to you, sir. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm now, <laughs> I'm now 27, officially in the late 20s. Oh, the late 20s. I some are calling them, so. me, you call me a young bastard, but some <laughs> my little cousins call me old, so... <laughs> There you go, the perfect, the perfect place. Young and old at the same time. Apparently, so. Alright, but yeah, take care of yourself, and we will be back here next week. Sir Elton. Thank you. Peace! <laughs>